This is Boss Ladies. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I am here with Risa Heller, the CEO of Risa Heller Communications, which is a full-service communications and public affairs consultancy based in New York City. Risa is the former communications director for many big names in politics, including Senator Charles Schumer. And Risa is also listed as one of Crane's 40 Under 40. So Risa, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and sort of your career journey that led you to starting your own company? Oh, yes. Okay. I would be happy to. So I grew up in suburban Detroit and went to the University of Michigan. And when I graduated, I had this, I majored in psychology and Hebrew and Jewish cultural studies, which I know is crazy. And when I graduated, I was like, (laughs) oh, I'm going to go work at a Jewish nonprofit in Washington. Very niche, very niche ideal. So I went to Washington. So PR was not in your mind yet. No, I didn't even, I have to say, I know this sounds, I was pretty naive. I don't think I even knew what PR was. My mom had been a teacher um, and my dad is a lawyer and I grew up in suburban Detroit. Like, I, no, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty naive. And not to say that suburban Detroit doesn't have PR as it turns out they do. It's just, I wasn't aware of it. And I moved to Washington. I got an, I tried to like get all these fellowships, which no one would hire me for. And I got an internship, like a kind of an internship at the Anti-Defamation League, which to me was like the ultimate. I was super excited about it. And I got it because my freshman year college roommate was on an airplane and sat next to the guy that ran the Washington office of the Anti-Defamation League, who also went to the University of Michigan. But he's like 20 years older than me. His name is Michael Lieberman. I really honestly owe my whole career to this guy. And she was like telling him like, oh, my roommate from college, this is all she wants to do. He was like, well, have her call me. I'll give her an internship. So that, that is how I got my first job. That's incredible. And I went and I interned for them, him and his colleague, Stacey Burdett. They ran this like pretty, really active, smart policy shop in Washington. And like they taught me, you know, I would like go to hearings on the Hill and take notes and bring them back, you know, stuff like that. And then 9-11 happened while I was working there. It was like right when I graduated from college, a few months after I graduated from college. They, so they like extended my internship a little. And then I got a job at Hadassah, which is like this women's, Jewish women's organization. And I was like the low man on the totem pole in like their policy shop. And I, same thing. I would like run around to the hearing, to hearings. I would like see Barney Frank, like on the hill, like eating ice cream and hearing. And I was so cool. And I was so excited about it. Um, And also I was like completely not a Washington person and fully not cut out for Washington. Like I would go to the, I remember like I would go to the gym and like do like the exercise machine and see everyone, like everyone there would be watching the news and like wearing a political t-shirt. But I, this was not really my world. And I would be like, what are these people doing? Like it was at the time, this is going to age, I'm 41. Like at the time there'd be like reruns of Beverly Hills 90210 that like, of course, that's what you would watch at the gym. I was just like, what are these people doing watching CNN? Like it just didn't make any sense to me. And so I got this job at Hadassah. And then they ran into financial trouble. Like they had some issue because of 9-11, they lost a lot of their endowment and they decided just to like close the policy shop. So I was like, what am I going to do? I was crushed. I mean, truly, I remember sobbing, like sobbing, sobbing. They laid us all off sobbing, just being like, this was my life dream. What am I going to do? And the woman who I worked for, who was like a lot, who was a lobbyist for Hadassah was like, I have a friend who runs a small PR firm. He's looking for someone you should go talk to him. I went and met with a guy. It was a five-person PR firm. They did like academics, nonprofit, and democratic politics. 
And he hired me to work for him. This guy named Steve Rabinowitz and this other guy named Matt Dorff. And they were really kind of smart, tough bosses. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then I got a job becoming, I was the, um, became the head of communications for Jane Harmon, who was a congresswoman from LA, very tough boss, who at the time was the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee. And it was like the time of intelligence reform. So there was a 9-11 commission and then they had all this legislation to change the intelligence community. And she was the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee. So it was like a big opportunity. It was a big opportunity for her. And so I worked for her. And then a friend of mine who I like met in Washington, again, I came from suburban Detroit and I didn't, this was totally unfamiliar to me. So I had this friend who worked for Chuck Schumer and he was like, you know, we have this opening, we, Chuck needs an upstate press secretary. Like you should come interview for this job. So over a period of many months, I, I had many, many interviews. And at the end of the process, he hired someone else, this guy, Eric Schultz, who's a very good friend of mine, um, who also is like a wonderful, fabulous comms guy. And at the end of the process, I had like been in graduate school at night. And like, well, I was still working at the PR firm. I was like, I should get a graduate degree. So stupid. So I applied to like Johns Hopkins master's program in communications thinking like, this will be great. I'll get a master's degree. To anyone listening to this podcast, please do not do what I did. It was incredibly stupid. So I went and got... I applied to Johns Hopkins. They had like, I've still never been to the Baltimore campus. Like they had this like little building in DuPont Circle and I would go to class. And so what happened was when I didn't get the Chuck job, I was like, oh, this is good. I had to, I was finishing graduate school and I had to write a thesis, like like a big thesis. And I was like ready to do it. And like a few weeks later, the friend of mine, Chuck Schumer's office called me up and said, you know, our New York City press secretary is leaving. Do you want to talk to us about doing that job? And me, still an idiot, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm writing writing my thesis for graduate school. I can't possibly become Chuck Schumer's press secretary. And he was like, well, just come have like one more meeting with the senator. And like, you know, because I think you'd really love this job. And Chuck was like, you are an idiot. Like, this would be the greatest (laughs) job you could ever have. Like, what are you talking about? You think you're going to write your thesis? Like, no, you're going to come be my press secretary. This is the best job in politics. And I was like, okay. So we had another interview, blah, 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 blah. To make a very long story short, he hired me the next day. He offered me the job. And then a week later, he and I lived in Washington. He was like, you got to move to New York for this job. So I moved to New York a week later and I became Chuck's press secretary and then his communications director. And it was the greatest job of all time. Very hard, very fun. I have a friend who um, worked for Chuck and then became a state senator himself and you know, has had all these great jobs. And he recently said to me, you know, it's a kind of crazy that I myself have gotten elected to office and yet working for Chuck is still the most career affirming thing I've ever done. So we all look at it, you know, the greater diaspora of Schumerland sort of looks at that time and thinks like, wow, that was great. And then after a few years, I was like, I'm exhausted. I had never done anything normal in New York because I just worked all the time, but I loved my job. And so I was like, I'm going to leave. And I had, was going to go to this consulting firm and figure it out. So I did that. But after a few months, and this firm had been, they had been like the political advisors to Elliot Spitzer. So this was in 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was like in two, must have been in like late 2007, I guess. Well, in early 2008, there was a big scandal and Elliot Spitzer stepped down from being governor. And the lieutenant governor, this guy named David Patterson, was about to become governor. And he had called, I guess he, yeah, he knew these guys because he was on the ticket with Elliot and said, like, I need some advice. So we went up and tried to help him sort of like figure out all the stuff around becoming governor. 
Then he asked me to stay on and be his communications director. So I did that for one year to the day. And then I was like, by this time, I'm like probably 29 years old, which I know doesn't sound very old, but if you've only worked the whole time and like not developed any life skills as I had not, I had this goal of like learning to cook and roasting a chicken. This is what I wanted to do. I really wanted to learn how to roast a chicken. I love that. I just felt like it was like kind of like the ultimate thing to be able to learn how to do. So I was like, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to go work in corporate America because like that will be something I've never done. And I'm going to learn how to roast a chicken. So the first, my first act was taking cooking classes. So I went to the Institute for Culinary Education and I took all these cooking classes and actually became like a pretty good cook. I mean, just like, you know, like they were like recreational, but like, yeah, but still, yeah. So I learned how to cook and I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to get a job at corporate, in corporate America. Like, of course. And I remember this was 2000, now we're at like 2009, but it started the financial crisis and there were all these jobs and everything just seemed like not that exciting. And a couple people were like, you should start a PR firm. To which I was like, I thought it was just the most hilarious suggestion. Of course, I cannot start a PR firm. Also, I'm from Michigan. And like, if you're from Michigan, you can't start a PR firm in New York City. And like, how would I even <laughs> send an invoice? Like, what does that even look like? Really, whatever. And one person, this really a, a sort of PR legend, called, he was giving me advice. And I was like, what should I do? He was like, you should start a PR firm. I think it'd be great. He was like, you know, I started my PR firm with like, and then named like two of the most famous people in all the land that were like his original clients. He's like, but you'll be great. And he was like really trying to be nice to me. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't possibly do this. And this guy called me up whose name was Carl Weisbrod. He was the, he ran the, like the real estate arm, the nonprofit real estate arm of Trinity Church, which was a big landowner in New York at the time, the biggest. And they were looking for like a really aggressive comms person to help with a rezoning. And he called me up and he said, I heard you want to start a PR firm. Like, let's talk about this project. And they hired me to do their communications for this project, which was super fun and really, really interesting. But still I'm thinking like, I'll just like do a couple little things and like eventually I'll just go get a job. But I just never got the job. And like every, you know, I would like (laughs) get another client and get another client. And after a few years of like, doing the company at my kitchen table, I like got a little office and then I hired a person and then I hired more people. And so it is a, we have focused on like doing really, really good work for folks. And it's been really fun. It's like the most, it's, this job is like the most interesting job I could have imagined. And so fun. That's such an incredible story, especially because one of my next questions was going to be, did you always know you wanted to get into PR? And it's like, clearly you just kind of, you know, figured it out as you went, which I think is really, really cool. So what's... Yeah, it's so interesting because now, like, it's not it's not like that. Like, I, you know, I talk to so many young people all the time, like people that work here with me, people that are trying to figure out what to do with their lives. And like these kids who are so fabulous, they're like, you know, young, they're graduating from college and they know exactly what they want to do. And I just was totally clueless. I don't know if it was a different time or if I just was like the most clueless person, but I was totally, totally clueless. I think that's reassuring to some people who are listening who are probably still figuring out what they're trying to do. So I, I like this perspective. I mean, I just, I remember when I was graduating from college, I, my, I was with my dad, my dad's a lawyer. I was with my dad somewhere and I was like going to go to law school because I was just like, this is a thing that you do, you know? And my dad was like, why are you going to law school? Or why do you think, I wasn't like that far down the road. Like, why do you think you're going to apply to law school? I think I had taken the LSAT, I think. And I was like, I don't know. It seems interesting. And I don't know what else to do. And he was like, don't be a lawyer. 
And it's crazy <laughs> because he loves being a lawyer. Like he is great at it. He loves being a lawyer. He's just turned 70 and he works all the time and he loves it. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Like, why are you saying that? He's like, you could, you can do something better. Like go figure it out and do something better. And I was like, okay. I, again, like just being like, okay. Yeah. Like a, like a kind of like a babe in the woods. And I didn't <laughs> go to law school. So what's a day in the life of Risa Heller like today? Like, what does your day-to-day look like? It's very fun. Well, I have three kids. So in the morning, you might just be asking me about work, but I will tell you that the morning is a real Armageddon-like situation that involves a lot of breakfast preparation for my kids and a lot of yelling at them to get out of the door if they have school. So that's number one, or yelling at a couple of them to get out of the door if they have school. But I would say it can be totally frenetic, you know, at any given time. We do a lot of, we do a lot of like sort of, we do some regular PR profile raising stuff, but we do a lot of crisis communication or like issues management. So things that like might be problems, could be problems, are problems, and things that are super complicated. On any given day, I could be, I will be talking to a ton of my clients about various things. There may be a hearing for a lawsuit. There are always reporters writing stories about various things that we're dealing with. So like, you know, and always, always, I have a million meetings, even if they're now on Zoom. It used to be much more fun or and will be again. I sincerely hope mm-hmm. when this pandemic ends. <laughs> but like, I spend a lot of time talking to, talking to my clients. I spend a lot of time talking to reporters on their behalf. I spend a lot of time thinking through various strategies for like to get from A to Z on what they want to be doing. You know, one of the things that's interesting is like any client that we work for has a complicated issue. And some of the issues like someone is getting sued or they're suing someone, but every approach has to be different. The subject matter is totally different. The people are totally different. And so you have to really sort of like bring your constantly be bringing like your full attention and like creative mind to what you're doing. You know, there's like about a dozen people that work here, but they're not here in my office. They're now scattered in their homes. So I talk to them at various points throughout the day about what they're doing and how we're helping our clients. And we really, really, really try to like, we approach it all the work like really earnestly. Like we really, really want to do the best possible job that we can do for folks. And it's interesting, like people kind of laugh when I say that, but I mean it, I'm so serious about it. Like, you know, even though I, I guess by now I've sort of been around for a long time, we still are a tiny company. And people can go and hire, you know, a, a, a PR firm that has hundreds of employees or thousands of employees, but they choose to hire us. And so we want to, like, my big goal for everyone is just to be knocking it out of the park for them. Yeah. Like, how do you represent people whose beliefs don't necessarily align with yours or whose actions you don't condone? <laughs> I look at all these things and think like this, and I tell this to people who come work here. It's like, a, this is a non-ideological company. Like we work on things that we don't love. We work on things that we do love. And like we give them both sets of them the same amount of attention and care. You know, it's sort of interesting, especially when we do things that, you know, that I don't necessarily agree with. A thing that I've, or either things that like I don't necessarily agree with or things that are like top subject matter wise, like something that I, that at face value, I would think like that's not interesting. But in like, and then we'll somehow be compelled to do it. Like the things that I am worried about not being interesting become totally interesting to me. The things with the people that I'm not aligned with, I still really, I learn from it. And it's like, I learn, I learn. it's, it's a really interesting place because you get to work on so many different issues, so many different kinds of topics, et cetera. And 
you're able to sort of look at these things and like, and learn about them. But again, we're not doing this because of, you know, ideological, where we are ideologically. And people find themselves in like really complicated situations. So do you approach each problem? Like you see the problem and you're like, all right, let's go for it. Or do you ever have this moment where you're like, are you kidding me? Did you have to do that? Like, oh, yes. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Did you have to do that? Happens all the time. You know, we try to give to our clients the very best advice that we can and take it very seriously. Do all of our clients want to take all of our advice? Absolutely not. You know, we have clients that will tell them, you know, here's how we think you should approach something. And they'll say, nah. And we'll say, okay. And again, same with the ideological point. We're not going to walk away from them just because they're not going to take our advice. We say to them, like, listen, this is the best advice. Like, if you want to get through this more quickly, if you want to solve this problem, like, here are the ways to do it. If you want to make this super complicated and make it last for a longer time, like, okay, well, you could do it this way, but it's just going to, you know, it's going to make your life harder. And some of them say, I'm, I'm going to make everything harder and we deal with it. But like, you know, this work is so complicated and particularly like all the public facing stuff, especially now is so complicated that folks are really looking for, for like experienced hands who can help them like see around different corners and it's tough and they're looking for good advice. So, you know, we, we say to, when we say, oh, did you have to do that? You know, we're so totally upfront with our clients about like, did you have to do that? When, yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when those things happen. How do you keep your emotions balanced when I'm sure their emotions are, you know, all over the place given what they're going through? That is such a good question. Well, I would say this, which is when you work in government and I always, like when I worked for Chuck or when I worked for the governor, like you're dealing with a lot of like really important things that like really matter to a lot of people. And so it gives you a lot of perspective when you then come to a client who's like made a mistake, but will be able to get through it. Or it gives you the ability to say to folks, like, I know this, like, I say this a lot of time to our clients. Like, I know this feels like a 10 to you. It's really more like a five. And like, here's what will happen. Or here's what a 10 feels like, because I've, you know, we've done plenty of 10. So like, you know, there are seven reporters calling about this right now. Like there are times when 45 reporters are calling. So like, just wow. try to understand that and think about that. And it doesn't mean that we like approach it with any like less seriousness of purpose or anything like that. But we try to basically bring a little perspective to it to say like, this is not going to be the end of the world and here's why. So you've referenced your time working with obviously Chuck Schumer quite a bit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and, and sort of what you learned and what you enjoyed from that? Oh, of course. I mean, what I would say about that is like, I always tell this to to folks, like if you're interested in government, although I'm not sure that I necessarily was, but if you are, government is the best place possibly to learn. I worked in the House and the Senate in the governor's office. Um, I've never worked in city hall, but I will tell you that like, it's first of all, working in a legislative branch office versus an executive branch office is totally interesting and different. Like working for a great legislator is just like an amazing thing to see because, I mean, because you have a lot of faith in government. Seeing how government can be good is like an incredibly cool and wonderful experience. Understanding how it can be like help people's lives and help like is amazing. I would say just like from a skills perspective, you know, when you're a young person and you're hungry and ambitious and you want to learn, it's the best place to go because you get to do the coolest things when you're 25 years old or 24 years old and 23 years old. You know, like I remember when I would like sit in these hearings or go when a boss would be questioning someone to go to be on the Supreme Court, like all these crazy august seeming things, believe me, they are totally august. 
And to just like have a little, like the littlest window into it is so cool. But also like for people who are interested in this stuff, you get to like, you get to have a front row seat to government. You get to meet the most interesting people. You know, I have friends from my time in Washington. I have a friend who I met um, who's also from Michigan. She were, at the time worked for Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And someone was like, you guys should meet. You're both from Michigan. Like, okay. <laughs> Anyways, she became a very, <laughs> very dear friend, friend of mine. This is years and years ago. I mean, probably when we were 24 years old, we met. I still talk to her all the time. She, you know, she doesn't work in the Hill anymore. So you get to meet a ton of cool people and you get to see like all these great things up close. And it is so cool. So if you go to the gym now, do you watch CNN or still no? Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, number one, I don't go to the gym, but I want to. It's just no, I have no time. But yes, of course. I mean, that's the thing that is that is such a good question. I now have like the loserous t-shirt, like the t-shirts that are like Democratic National Convention, you know, Boston, which is so embarrassing. And of course, I'm like, compl- like, I laugh at this. Like if you could see in my office right now, of course, the news is on, on TV, it's constantly on. I read more news than anyone I know. And I wouldn't even contemplate going to the gym and watching something that's not news. But I just, I always remember that feeling of being like, why aren't they watching Beverly Hills Man of 2 and 0? And then feeling like that's kind so of funny. silly about it. I know. But so, yes, I, I love that. It's, it's, a, it's a great evolution. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Okay. So what is up with this narrative that New York is dead? Because I grew up in New York City New York is more alive than ever. Outdoor dining is amazing. People are everywhere. The city is popping. So tell us about the New York Forever campaign and and where did this idea come from and how have you been fighting and helping to fix this New York narrative or this narrative that New York is dead? So New York Forever was, (laughs) New York Forever is a nonprofit that I co-founded with a bunch of, with with my friend Jonathan Rosen and who also has a PR firm and a couple other people who are great. And, you know, this Kate was born out of like just around in March and April of last year, like right when the pandemic had started, there was just story after story in the newspaper that said, New York is dying. Everyone's moving to the Hudson Valley. You know, the suburbs of New Jersey are so fabulous. And it was making me just insane, like absolutely insane. I was crawling out of my skin. I was also crawling out of my skin because I was losing my mind about the pandemic, but I was just like, this cannot possibly, (laughs) this can't, this cannot be the narrative about New York. And Jonathan, who's a competitor of mine, but also a really, really close friend, we talk all the time anyways, and we would just be fetching on the phone about this. And I was like, we have got to do something. Or originally, I was like, someone's got to do something. Who's going to do something? And then I was like, okay, I guess we're going to do something. And so we came up with this idea for New York Forever, which first, I, we were like, okay, we should start a civic group. What will it, We spent a lot of time kind of like iterating around, like, what will it do? How, what, what will it do? And so we came up with this idea that New York Forever would do two things. One, it would cheerlead for New York City because no one was doing it. It was making us nuts. But sort of more importantly, we were like, yes, we could do a group just to cheerlead for New York, but it's not, that's kind of, we need to put some grist behind it. What could the grist be? And so after like talking to a lot of people and contemplating it ourselves, we came up with this idea that our goal should just be to get New Yorkers engaged, like as many New Yorkers as possible engaged in New York's recovery. And so that is what New York Forever does. It launched just a little under two months ago. We have a bunch of civic partnerships. So we're partnered with Roar, which is the Restaurant Workers Relief Fund, which we're raising money for. We're partnered with the Citizens Committee for New York City. We're partners with New York Cares. And what we're trying to do is drive people to do a number of things. So volunteer, we're getting people to raise uh, or to give money to different organizations and to generally feel like a real sense of like pride and ownership over the city. 
So we like we created a T-shirt with this brand, Alex Mill, to raise money for Roar, and like that was a very cool thing because they sold out in four hours, and we were totally that was totally cool, and awesome. super exciting, yeah. And yeah. they're very cool T-shirts. They are going to be restocked, so everyone should buy one. Good to yes, know. Totally. <laughs> Um, so we did that. We started with that. We're doing, we have some activations coming up that are a couple different fashion collaborations, a couple of other fun things to help support restaurants. Um, we're looking into other kinds of partnerships with groups like iMentor and we're trying to do everything we can to get people to feel like, instead of like complaining about whatever they want to complain about the garbage on the street or X, Y, or Z to feel like, okay, I have a hand in this place. Like I can do something to help. And that is really the goal of New York forever. I love that. And actually, my older brother is super passionate about ending this narrative that New York is dead. This like his thing. He's just like, yeah. Tell him to call me. Great. We'll put. I honestly work. will. He's like obsessed with it. It's his whole thing. He was like calling us because we were away in the summertime. I was with my family and my brother was in New York and he was calling us and he's like, New York is amazing right now. Like, why are you not here? And we were all like, no, it's, I mean, everyone says it's kind of like dead. And he was like, so frustrated about it. So yeah, I will. We were out to dinner on Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night we went out to dinner. It was sort of warmish, but I've eaten out so many times in the freezing cold. Like I can't even, (laughs) like we have long johns and like Oh yeah. You're like bundled bundled up. up. Like this is fun. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. And I mean, we ate in the West Village, but I live in Brooklyn, but we went out for dinner in the West Village. And I was just like, New York is, I mean, it's, it was humming. I mean, people were out, yeah. people were, you know, like dressed, they were ready to go. So I think New York's people who are predicting New York's demise are just going to be totally wrong. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I love the work you're doing. And let me know if you need an ambassador, yes. ambassador between me and my brother. We, <laughs> I, we need, we'll, yes, we'll take it. We need help, but it's, uh, it's great. And people are super I think one of the things that we realize is like people are super enthusiastic about this stuff and like they haven't had an opportunity like for a long time. I think now it's changing a little bit, but like there was no one saying this stuff and people, they needed a way to support the city. So there's just been a huge amount of enthusiasm for it, which is great. We're very excited about that. That's awesome. Now, obviously you have your own company and you're able to get involved with things like New York Forever, et cetera. What, what advice do you have for others who are interested in starting their own company, who have their own companies, like what have you learned being um, the CEO and founder of a company? This is the thing that I, the thing that I have learned that has been the most useful is to trust my instincts. There have been a million times over the past 10 plus years where I've like, you know, I like, I built this company, it's been successful, which has been great, but there's been a million times where I'm like, well, I don't have a formal business education. So like, maybe this isn't the right way of like looking at my numbers or I don't know, like, people that I've hired where I felt like this person doesn't fit into this role exactly, but I really like them and have a good feeling about them. Those are the times when I have been super successful. It is, it is when I don't trust my instincts and like sort of do things where I think like, Oh, this, this is probably like what, you know, the CEO of a different PR firm will be doing. Like I should do things more like that person. That's where I sort of like get, get hung up and, and, and mess up. So always, always, always trust my instincts which is not like an easy thing to tell yourself. And like, especially when you sort of feel like, you know, you're like, I always say with regards to what I do is like, I'm good at the work. You know, I'm not that interested in like scaling a company or running the business or whatever, even though I have to do it. So I do it. But like the work is what I'm interested in. And, but I'll like trusting my instincts has been, that has, it has been a big lesson to me in that. 
Amazing. And my last question for you is what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Oh, I would say what is one of my greatest accomplishments? I would say my, some com- a combination of my greatest professional accomplishment is is for just the existence, I think, of this company. And my greatest personal accomplishment is my kids, for sure. Who, re- who by the way, read the newspaper. I love that. I know. <laughs> That's great. That, maybe that. Maybe that my oldest daughter reads the newspaper. That feels like a big, a big accomplishment. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on Boss Ladies today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm -hmm.